Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Dr. John DeGarmo, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. I am so excited, and as I told you, I don't feel like I'm qualified to be here with you, but I'm super excited about our time together. Um, I'm, I'm completely inspired by what you do, and I know we'll talk about that at length, but I'd like to, if you're okay with it, like we talked about before we hit record, everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. So what I'd like to do, if you're okay with it, is just start with where you were born and go, we'll go all the way up to today with your life story. And then we can talk about anything you'd like to talk about from that point forward. Is that okay? Absolutely. Sure. Sure. So where were you born? New York. I was born in New York. Uh, moved to Delaware <clears throat> about age two, then to Michigan about age five. Uh, then age 21, I joined up with people. It's international. It was an international song and dance group. Mm -hmm. uh, we traveled the world singing and dancing across the globe. I was actually in Berlin shopping on the wall when it came down. Wow. Met my wife from Australia. That's awesome. I um, uh, got married in Australia. My first child died when we were in Australia of a, of a condition called anencephaly or some pronounce it anencephaly. It's a condition where the brain or skull never truly forms. Uh, and she was in labor for 92 hours. Uh, and then, um, and I turned my back on a lot of things at that point in my life. I was filled with a lot of anger. Yeah. Um, denied my grief. Yeah. Uh, because I felt at that time that I must be strong for my wife. Men don't, don't cry. I must, it's a sign of weakness. I must be tough. I was foolish. I was absolutely foolish. Yeah. Um, and then, and then we moved back to the United States years later, worked in professional wrestling for a while. That's right. Professional wrestling. That's correct. Um, and then I uh, started teaching. Uh, the high school level, mm -hmm. and a couple of things happened during that time, initial time. I had I had a student come in my classroom. Actually, I had a lot of students my coming my classroom. I was is in a very rural, poverty stricken area of Georgia. Okay, and a lot of kids coming through my classroom who had issues of attendance, behavior, and academics, and I kept saying, "What what's the connection here?" Yeah. And then I met a lot of their birth parents, and I recognized, "Aha, it really starts in the home." Uh, and I had a senior in my classroom who was pregnant with triplets, and and I recognized that neither her nor the father of the kids were in any condition to take care of those kids. Yeah. At the same time, I had a number of students in my classroom who were victims of the largest child sex trafficking ring in America at that time. This is the late 90s. Oh it was goodness. run by a gentleman called, he called himself Dr. Malachi York of the Nualia Nation in the small rural town. Um, very, very bizarre, bizarre Nwabi nation. Um, but he got arrested because he brought over a thousand children over the state lines for sex, for sex oh. trafficking. Just an evil, evil person. Oh, so sure. I had these kids in my classroom as well. So I went to my wife and said, hey, you know, we lost our first child. We have three healthy kids, but there's a lot of kids in my classroom who are just 
victims of abuse, neglect, abandonment, whatever. Mm. How can we help these kids? So that led to fostering. Uh, that led to 60 plus kids through our home, three adoptions, four failed adoptions. And uh, if you saw my, you saw part of my TED talk, you know, I'm driven every single day to make the system a better one. You know, there's there's five million children in America who, who experience domestic violence in their own home. Yeah. There are 300,000 children victims of human trafficking in the United States. There are we have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of children who are missing right now coming over the border unaccompanied. 88,000 um, was the last number I heard. Yep. Yes. My human goodness. trafficking has really skyrocketed during this current presidential administration. Um, and there's just so many children who are victims that need help. So, mm. and that's, that's my, that's my uh, mission, if you will. Let me ask you a question. Just a couple of questions. So yeah, you absolutely. grew up in Michigan. Yep. Right. Did you, did you graduated high school in Michigan? Yes, they allowed me to do that. There you go. That was awesome. It was nice, <laughs> of them, huh? What a sweetheart, right? So, so you, so you go to you go out, you grow up in Michigan. What was your favorite thing about growing up in Michigan? Um, the Michigan State Spartans basketball. There you team. go. Of course, yes. That's yes. a great school, man. Yes, yes. Uh, time is Um, yeah, yeah you know, I had, I had, um, I, I was, I was involved in music that's how i was in the song and dance group i, I did a right. lot of um i sang in a lot of different choirs and and i really enjoyed that a lot um and uh, yeah yeah that was probably my favorite thing that's cool i grew up in a traditional family if you will gotcha mother father nuclear family mm -hmm. so your favorite subject in high school would be choir <laughs> my favorite subject in high school was in um, I was the Eddie Haskell Were in high school. Yes. Yes. I, I, I enjoyed making other people laugh. Um, that's probably my class clown. Yes. Yes. And yes. I was also the, uh, I was also the, um, hopeless romantic as well. You know, oh. flowers, poetry to any girl that I thought was worthy, if you will. So girls were your favorite subject. I but got but it. but uh, history history was my topic. History was my topic. I was fascinated by history. Still am today. Yeah, I got you. That's cool. So when you leave high school and you go, you travel the world. How how many years were you traveling the world with the song and dance group? It was one year. It was one okay. year. We were in a different city, different state, different country. Every second day, we'd come in, set up. We'd come in, stay with host family, whatever country it was do some community service, do the two-hour show, and then on to the next city. Wow. And uh, we performed in front of kings and queens and presidents. And uh, again, Berlin, you know, we were traveling with people from the Soviet Union Union at the time, East Germans, yeah. people from the Soviet Union, 27 different countries. It was fascinating. And yeah. again, that's how I met my wife. Absolutely. So where did you go to college? Pardon me? Where did oh, you go to college? I, I have visited, I have, I have um, degrees from four different colleges. Okay. But the initial one was Olivet College, and then and where's various that? Others through my master's, my specialist, my doctor. And where's where's your fir the first college you went to? Where was that located? Olivet, Michigan, small small school. Okay, okay. So, what was your major? History and okay. English education oh, teacher. I love right. it. Uh, so you end up so you get your your so where what school did you get end up with your PhD from? Mercer. Okay. I'm sorry, that's not true. Walden University. Okay, and your PhD was in? 
was actually an EDD. Um, and it was in, again, I was, te- I, I, I got it after I became a teacher and after I became a foster parent, I, I recognized that so many teachers, the vast majority of teachers had no conception training whatsoever about, about kids in foster care. Um, 55% of kids in foster care drop out of school when they, when they turn 18 years of age, right. 65% end up homeless, 75% end up incarcerated. Again, 55% drop out of school. Right. And I recognized as a foster parent that my fellow teachers had no clue because I didn't either. I believed the myths and misconceptions that were associated with foster care before I was a teacher. Gotcha. So my 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 uh, doctorate was centered around how do you bring together teachers, foster parents, and social workers all together as a team, if you will, mm-hmm. to help these children from slipping through the cracks. That's awesome. Wow, what a wonderful mission. So so you started writing books. You've now written 10 books. I'm actually on my 13th. Oh, 13th. Okay. So according to your website, you had written 10. So so you so you're on your 13th book. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yes, and- I'm actually co-writing it with a uh, first time I've co-written a book. I'm writing it with uh her name is Jen Lilly. She's a she's an actress, celebrity actress. She's been in a lot of Hallmark movies, but she's also a foster parent and adoptive parent. And we've been to DC to do legislation. And so it's the first time I'm co-writing a book. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations on that. That's amazing. So tell us about your TED Talk. How did that come about? Well, you know, I traveled the nation and globe speaking at events, um, and I was asked to do a TED Talk on it. They reached out to me and said, will you do a TED Talk? And my goal of the TED Talk was to bring awareness to the realities that kids face in foster care and also how anybody can help because i believe that awareness equals advocacy right when we become aware of something we become advocates so i wanted to open up minds ears and most importantly hearts to what these children go through and then tell people that you know what we can all play a part because it happens in every single community there's a child being abused you know as you and i are speaking right now there's probably a child within a mile from you and a mile from me who is being abused um, so that was the focus of TED Talk was to bring awareness and, and create more advocates. So when you so let me ask you this: Is part of what you're teaching? Are you teaching teachers how to spot problem situations, like how to how, like what the telltale signs are, that kind of thing? Well, that's that's one thing I do. Uh, usually, I'm I, what I usually do is I train caseworkers, social workers, and foster parents. I, I equip them. I okay. equip them to care for these children because, you know, uh, they experience so much trauma and anxiety. And, and, you know, I, I mentioned trauma. I believe right now the real pandemic is mental health issues for our children. We are seeing mental health issues skyrocketing for children from what we did to them in COVID during COVID, yeah. you know, lockdowns, social distancing, all of that. What that I was rough. Absolutely, absolutely nonsense. And that was rougher. That was rougher on our kids than most people realize. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I, I remember being uh, interviewed on CNN in April of 2020, and they asked me, how is shutting the schools down going to affect kids in foster care? And I said, I'm far more concerned about the mental health aspects than I am of any virus. I want you to imagine, you know, so a, a little four or five-year-old girl who's told, and this is what we were telling them in 2020, don't touch grandma, you could kill her. Right. What does that do yeah. to that child? Yeah. Don't hug, don't touch anybody, don't hug anybody. Um, when we had these kids in foster care, when they're no longer getting, they're, they're 18 months behind academically on average, right. struggling in reading math skills. So when we shut them at home with, with a stranger, a foster parent, 
They're no longer getting the support services they need at school. They're no longer getting professional therapy or counseling services. They're no longer getting in-person visitations with their birth parents that are court ordered and their anxiety levels went to the roof. Well, foster parents tell me I'm not a teacher. I'm not a therapist, a counselor. I can't do visitations online five days a week and their anxiety levels through the roof as well. Right. Uh, teenage suicides up 70%. Teenage suicide attempts, teenage anxiety, abuse, addictions. These are all. And then, of course, during COVID, when everybody was, when the kids were online, that's when the sexual predators were there as well, waiting for these very, very vulnerable children to lure them in. And they couldn't do anything. They were shut in. They couldn't go outside. They couldn't go anywhere. They could. They weren't going to school. They had absolutely nothing. And the whole thing about idle hands being the devil's the devil's playground, right, is a real thing. That is a real thing. I mean, it's yes. you know. And the only way that they were going to go to school was online. And they weren't doing that. This pandemic learning loss is a very real thing. These children are so far behind academically, and they're really this 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 generation of kids is really never going to catch up in school. Yeah, it's too bad. So let me ask you this: There was a right. moment in your life, there was a moment in your life when you realized that you needed to go home and talk to your wife about potentially foster being a foster parent. Share with us that moment. Share with us what it was that happened that that basically was the awakening for you. Sure, it was that teenage girl with three babies, triplets, and and I recognized there was no possible way her or the father of those children were in any position to raise those children in a stable environment. And that's when I went to my wife and said, Hey, what if I brought three triplets? What if I brought some three babies home with me? And my wife said to me, as long as you change the diapers, well, you know, I should have listened to her because we went 20 years straight. Get this. We went 20 years straight in our house with at least one in diapers. Wow. Uh, we had at 1.7 in diapers, uh, which I think should be illegal in all 50 States. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't be allowed. Even, yeah, even though we have a foster care shortage, right? Talk a right. little bit about that. Well, there is a foster care shortage. You know, there's there's a there's a foster part of the foster care crisis is the lack of foster homes. There's there's that misconception that I believed, the misconception that the kids are bad kids, foster parents are weird people. Well, that last part's a bit true. You've got to be a little bit weird to do this lifestyle. It's a it's a unique lifestyle. When you bring, and no one really understands it unless you're actually doing it. Because when you're bringing a child into your home who has ma experienced massive trauma and abuse, mm -hmm. who is filled with tremendous anxiety, who has issues of trust, has issues of attachment, and they bring them into your home, these kids are not happy to be here. They're scared for their life. Yeah. They're asking questions. When they come to my home or any other foster parent's home, they're asking questions like, why am I here? When do I go home? Did I do something wrong? Is it my fault that mom's in jail? Is it my fault that dad's touching me there? Will these people hurt me? Does anybody love me? Yeah. Um, and they cry themselves to sleep over and over and over again those first few nights. But that's the reality. But most people don't understand that. So there is the lack. Of, so part of the reason why we don't have enough foster parents is there's that misunderstanding that these kids are bad kids. No, they're victims of abuse. They're victims of neglect. They're victims of environment, of neglect, of abandonment. And they want a normal lifestyle. They want someone to love them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, foster parenting is hard. It is hard. It's the hardest thing I've done. The most rewarding thing I've done, though. But your average foster parent quits at about 18 months into it. Because they say this is so hard. And there's very little support services in place for them. Um, so, so that's part of the reason why we have a lack of foster parents. Uh, unfortunately, there's more kids suffering from trauma and anxiety and abuse than, than the 
in a long, long time. Yeah. So talk to me about the Foster Care Institute. Right. Foster Care Institute is, uh, in, in a nutshell, it is your one-stop shop for all okay. things foster care. If you, will. you know, and the Foster Care Institute on the website, if you go to the website, you're going to see articles, videos, webinars, podcasts. I did podcasts for four years, Parenting Factors of Dr. John, and all, all about how to better equip people to become foster parents. But with the foster care institute, when I go out, as I said earlier, I'm training foster parents, I'm equipping them, I'm training staff, social workers, I'm working with legislators to help reform the system, whether it's in individual states or in, in DC at a federal level. Um, yeah, so that's what we do. Consult so, a lot of agencies as well. So that's amazing. I, as a, not, I'm not a foster parent. I, I'm a parent of two children now, 25 and 20, or 25 and 23. Um, I, but from everything that I, all the research I've done about you and the Foster Care Institute and what you're doing, it seems like what you're saying is brings true that basically these kids are just looking for somebody to love them. They're just looking Absolutely. for somebody that they know they can trust that yes. they know that if, you know, no matter what happens, somebody's going to be there for them. And, you know, it sounds like Sydney kept coming back to you. She just kept coming back and kept calling and kept trying to reach you. And, and, you know, and by the time you got back from Australia, she was already gone. And I mean, what a heartbreak. The other thing that I see. It, haunt, it haunted me. So I had I, nightmares for years. Yeah, it, yeah. I had nightmares for years. Of I heard my woods calling out to me or whatever it might be. And then, yeah, haunted me. Yeah. Um, sadly, that's not the only story. So I've had some friends who have been social workers. And one of the things that they shared with me was foster foster parents are like their heroes. They are absolutely, they get the call in the middle of the night when there's a baby that needs to be placed or there's a, a, a toddler, or, you know, teen, even teenagers, right? That are below are under 18 or under 21, depending upon the state, but they're, they need to be placed somewhere. And it's the middle of the night and they're going there picking up this, this child that's just been, there's no telling what they've been through, right. no telling whatsoever what they've been through. And then these foster parents, this social worker, one friend of mine in particular shared with me that these foster parents would, would take custody of these children and they would love on them and, and do the best they could with them and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden a parent, a, a relative would show up, like you were talking about with Sydney, where the, the, um, the um, sister and, and brother-in-law or whatever showed up and, and ended up taking, ended up taking Sydney. Like there was no warning. There was no, it's just all of a sudden one day they're gone for a foster parent that has to feel, or anybody that's considering to be a foster parent that has to feel traumatic. It is. It's heartbreak. You know, foster parents' hearts a lot like a quilt, all these yeah. patches placed over it. And, mm -hmm. and I hear so many people tell me often, Dr. John, I couldn't do what you do. It would hurt too much to get the kids back. And that's true, but that's how it should be. That's how it should be because these children need stability. They need structure. But what they need more than anything else is somebody to love them with all of our hearts unconditionally, like her family. You know, my house, there's no label. There's no biological. There's no foster. There's no adoptive. They're my children. Right. So when they do leave, for whatever reason it might be, yes, our hearts break. And we grieve the loss of a member of our family but that's a gift we're giving that child a gift because we might be the first person who's ever loved that child in some way and they're going to take that love with them for the rest of their life you know i i so many kids have come to my home who have never heard the words i love you 
Yeah. That's heartbreaking. It really is. I, I, there's so many kids who come to my home. I think of the 10-year-old boy who didn't know the words happy birthday because no one sung it to him before. 10 years of age. Oh, my goodness. You know, these are, it, it, it's again, it's in every community, but people don't want to recognize these things because it makes them feel uncomfortable, so we don't address these issues. Yeah. Can I ask you a question that you probably won't be able to answer? Try. What in the world are we going to do about these 88,000 migrant children that are missing in the U.S.? Is there an well, answer? Is there a solution? Well, there's a solution, but it's probably an unpopular solution with some of the audience, and that's we need to we need to attend to the issue at the border, because yeah. what's happening at the border? These children are coming over unaccompanied. Yeah, they're coming over unaccompanied, and they're becoming victims of human trafficking very quickly, very easily, are becoming victims of human trafficking. They're just bringing these children in over the border. And they become victims of human trafficking. Uh, it's the number one global business. The number one global business currently is human trafficking. Eclipse drugs, because if this is a drug, I can take it one time and I'm done. Right. But for a child, I can use that child for sex 10 to 12 times a day for 10 years. And so the money just keeps coming in and coming in and coming in over and over and over again. Um, so there's a huge market for that. It's a huge market for that in the United States and globally. So, so we need to we need to address that issue honestly at the border. That's how you that's how we begin it. So how does a government, our government, justify what they're currently doing at the border? That's a political question that I'm not gonna address. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I, I think you and I probably know. Um, but again, I'm gonna let me say it again. We need to honestly look at what we're doing. Yeah. You know, we see reports of entertainers, of politicians. Well, look at Jeffrey Epstein's Island. Yeah. That was no shock to me at all, because I have been following this for years and years and years. In fact, when he was a when he was arrested, I remember I was in Africa, my wife. And he was arrested in 2019. And I looked at my wife and I said, he will be dead in three days because I knew, because I known about all the people that he'd been associating with. And now it's coming to, coming to, to light here. Right. So many of them are politicians at the highest level. Yeah. Not just the United States, but globally. Right. Real power. Yes. So when I say we need to honestly look at that, I don't know that our government's ready to do that yet. Yeah. That's a shame. So, Foster Care Institute, you've written, you're in the process of writing your 13th book. What else are you working on, Dr. Do Dr. John? Well, I'm working on some legislation with okay. some legislators on how to reform the system. Um, I am a consultant for a lot of programs. I'm doing something unique in the state of Georgia where I'm teaming up with a group called AmeriGroup Georgia, and we're traveling the state of Georgia from one end to the other, and we are providing free training and support services for foster parents for the for the intention of retention, retaining right. their foster parents. Because I said earlier, most of them quit after 18 months. So how do we retain them? How right. do we retain their foster parents? How do we keep them going? And that's support, support systems. So we're doing that. I'm really excited about that. I'm on the road probably once a week doing that somewhere in the state of Georgia. That's incredibly um, important because there was something that drew them to it, right? 
And right. if there's a way to give them the education that they need to help them heal so that they stay yes. in, right? Then you don't have to go out and find a whole new group. Now, let's say that somebody's listening to this and they they identify or connect with you and they they realize that their heart is in the in the right place where they want to be a foster parent. How can they reach out to you? Oh, very simply, just just a search online, Dr. John DeGarmo, foster care expert, the Foster Care Institute, my contact information's there, social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, it's all there. It's, it's and don't you have don't you have one of your 13 books? Isn't it a daily instruction manual? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a daily motivational, if you will, the, the little there book of foster care wisdom. I wanted to write something because it's as I said earlier, it's the hardest thing I've done. Yeah. But I also want to say it's the most rewarding thing I've done. Every child's made me a better person. But there are days where I thought, you know, I, I, I can't do this. I'm so right. tired. I'm so worn out. I'm exhausted. My heart is broken. The system doesn't work. Um, so it's it's a book filled with every day. has got some tips and some words of inspiration. So tell us about your legislation. Can, can you talk about it? Or sure, it sure. Absolutely. Okay. Um, well, as I mentioned earlier, my friend Jen Lilly and I were trying to re reunification. So reunification is the end goal of foster care, which means if the birth parents or biological family members and the children of foster care are reunified. They come back right. together. The, the, the birth families have they've done they've done what they needed to do, if you will. They come back together. Fifty percent of kids in foster care are reunified. Sadly, or tragically, if you will, twenty to thirty percent who are reunified come back into care, and sometimes maybe even the children die because their birth parents may sink back in their own addictions. Maybe their support services were stopped. Maybe they are struggling because they had been parenting for a long time. The child comes back in and they're, they're really overwhelmed, whatever it might be, whatever right. it might be. So, and, and when that child comes back into care, it, they're far worse. More issues of trust, more issues of attachment, more trauma. Um, and then they just bounce from home to home to home, sadly. So we want to reform that reunification process. And, and and put some steps in place so that this is uh, this does not happen, if you will. So, so that's one step, thing we're doing. I'm sorry. So the steps you're putting in place, what can you talk about what those are? Yes, and that is so when a child goes back to the birth family, when reunification happens, many times the services, the support services by child welfare are stopped. Well, we we're saying. You know, we need to wrap around that family. When that child goes back home, we need to wrap around that family with counseling, professional therapy, professional counseling, parenting classes, child welfare needs to be involved. Uh, somebody needs to be checking in on those kids and those parents on a regular basis for at least six months to a year, just to continue to give those families and those children services for a longer period of time. Because if that family is sinking or struggling, whatever it might be, that there's help there for them. So well, the services and, have to come back into care. Yeah, services and support, right? So, I mean, you're yes. you're bringing wisdom, you're bringing support. So, and the beautiful thing about it is, let's say a, let's say a, a child enters the foster system, foster care system, ends up reunifying, and all of a sudden everything stops. They almost feel like they've been abandoned. Well, there's my TED right? Talk that's right. She went, with she this was legislation, With this legislation, the magic of it is they know that we still care. They know that we're still involved and we're still we're still paying attention and we're still trying to bring support. Right. Right. That's got to be incredibly important. It is. But the wheels of legislation move awfully slow sometimes. Is there anything we can do to help you with that? Uh, contact your your 
local senators, legislators, if you will, um, and encourage them to move What's in that What's the name of the bill? Is there a name to the bill or a number? No, we've been speaking with legislators. Unfortunately, COVID shut all of that down, yeah. as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Well, everything really got pushed on the back burner, right? They only dealt with the things that were absolute crises. That's and correct. unfortunately, our children were one of the ones that got pushed to the back burner. Well, as I tell legislators, these aren't goods and services. These are children. Right. The lives of children. And exactly. the longer we wait, the more the damage these children are at. Yeah. Right. The more damage. And the more we'll be dealing with in the future in terms of some sort of their whiplash, you know, mental health crisis, right? I mean, it's scary. Or death. Yeah. It's you know, how many scary. how many times we turn a how many times we hear about a story about a child beaten to death? Yeah. By a family member. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's scary. Is there anything else you'd like to cover before we wrap up? Yes. Yeah, thanks for asking. You know, I I, I firmly believe that not everybody can be a foster parent. Yeah. But everybody can help in some way. I gave the statistics earlier, the number, again, 5 million children in America and the United States experienced domestic violence in their house. And that's before COVID. We know that number's gone up. Yeah. So that means it's every single community. While not everybody can be a foster parent, everybody can help in some way. Okay. And I go over a lot of those books, a lot of those in the book, The Church and Foster Care, because I think, I think the government can't do it by itself. Faith-based organizations, people of faith, churches, et cetera, can, can step, need to step up. Right. Because it's their community. It's their community. So that book is filled with so many different ideas. But, you know, you, there might be someone listening right now says, you know what, I want to help these kids. Well, how can I do that? You can donate school supplies to these children. You can donate hygiene items. You know, when they come when they come to a foster home, many times their belongings are, their few belongings are in a black plastic bag. Well, you can donate brand new suitcases to these children when they go back home. Because garbage bag signifies that they're garbage, right? right. You can um, you can be a mentor, a tutor. You can partner with your foster parent association, your community, and help with Christmas and birthdays. Just, those are just a few of the many ways. But everybody can play a part in some way in helping a child who suffered so much. So it takes a village. It absolutely does. My wife and I, we've had as many as 11 kids in our house at the same time. And we could not have done that without the support of people in our community who said, you know, what step up and say, help. how can we help? Whether it's bringing a meal to you that first night, you mentioned late at night placement. Our very first placement was 1030 at night. Yeah. Um, and by 1050 at night, I recognized my training did not prepare me for this. I was yeah. not prepared for what that, those two children brought. I think back to the time where we had a group of five kids come to our house, their clothes were stapled together. And the clothes were contaminated with meth and feces and, uh, you know, they had nothing, absolutely nothing. So I remember one of our friends went out, I think maybe at midnight and brought frozen pizzas to our house and clothes for the next day for these kids because we couldn't do it. I think back to the time we had a, uh, we had a 10 week premature baby come to our house um, in the middle of the night uh, and a breathing respirator. You know, we could not have done that if people set up and said, you know, how can I help? What can I do right. to help out? So everybody, as you said, it takes, it takes a village. Everybody can take a part in some place. And, and I also want to address the fact that so many of these kids end up victims of human trafficking because they go online looking for acceptance, looking for normalcy, looking for love. The predators are there. And human trafficking is also in every community. And I want 
I want to make this clear. I call human trafficking America's ugly secret. Yeah. It, we don't want to talk about it. It makes us feel uncomfortable. So we, we push it under the carpet and talk about other things instead. Yet, there are so many children suffering from that. So we need to step up as a society and say, no more. Right. No more. It ends here. It stops here. So let's say that somebody is a member of a church and let's right. say that they want their they want to get their church involved working with foster care parents. How would they go about doing that? Pick up the book, The Church and Foster Care. It's filled with a number of ways of doing it. So the church the and foster care. Yes, that's correct. And it's that's one correct. of your 13 books. That's correct. Yes. Okay. yes. Or just call me up and I'll, I'll go to the church and work for the church. As well, okay. help them create their own foster care outreach program. Okay. You know, we, so how listen, did... I I have been I spent a number of years in Mexico doing mission work. My kids have been to Honduras and Nicaragua. Those are wonderful. But there's yeah. a mission field within every single mile of every church in America. Oh, amen, amen. So, I do you mind if I share a little story with you? Please. So I, I did a podcast. This is not about this is not about trafficking or anything or or foster care. But I did a podcast interview early on, one of our very first was with our mayor of our fair city here, Escondido, California. And he had just a few short years prior to becoming mayor, he had been a drug addict and he had been homeless. And he had run into, in the parking lot several times, you know, because he was homeless, he'd run into these uh, missionaries from the from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they got his phone number, his cell phone number, and from time to time they would text him and see if he wanted to get together and have a cup of coffee and talk about his faith. And he never answered them. They, they literally dozens and dozens and dozens of times they reached out to him. So the court orders him to go into rehab. So he goes into rehab, he gets 30 days into it, tells his mother the night of the 30th day that he's going to quit because he's lost all of his friends. He's lost all, you know, he's lost his support. He's just, he's just lost. And his mother says, pray about it tonight and be specific. So he prays about it and he's specific. The very next morning, he gets a text message from the missionaries wanting to know if he wants to get together for a, for a get together that evening. And he simply replies with yes. They send him the details. He goes to this party. At that, at that party, he makes friends inside the church and it completely turns his life around. About Four weeks after, five weeks after that interview, I'm driving a block from my house and I'm on my way home and I look up and there's two missionaries walking down the sidewalk. I've never seen missionaries in our neighborhood ever. And I drove by them and God told me to turn around and go give them encouragement. So I turned my truck around. I went over, I parked my truck, I got out. I startled them a little bit because I'm kind of a big guy and I've got my sunglasses on and right. People tell me I look like a cop. But I got out of my truck and I walked over to them, fellas, can I talk to you for a second? You know, and I told them this story and I explained to them, I said, listen, I just want to encourage you. I want you to know that no, that even if they don't return your phone calls, even if they don't answer your texts, please keep texting. You're making a difference. You just, you don't even know the difference you're making, right? They right. nearly started crying, doctor. They nearly started crying. And it was the it was the moment that it was the encouragement that they needed at the moment that they needed it. But that's what we need to do with foster parents. We need to come alongside them and we need to figure out a way to support them. 
So I would encourage everybody to, to get your book and I'll put a, I'll put the title of your book in your description on the podcast so that, and I'll also put a link to the foster care Institute on there. Um, so people can reach out to you and they can get to you. Well, thank you. I often tell people that, you know, I, I can't change the world and you can't change the world, but for these children that we help, their world is changed. Yeah. Their world is changed. And I, I repeat again, we're in the midst of a pandemic of mental health for our children. And if, if we don't address it. It's going to be awful. Yes. Yes. It's going to be awful. And every child, every child deserves a family. Yeah. And every child deserves to be loved. I Sadly, agree. there are so many children that do not have either. Yeah. I think back to the, you mentioned homeless. I think back to the, we got a phone call. We got a phone call. Is that they're a fourth field adoption? And um, we got a phone call from the sheriff, who's a good friend of mine, and he said, "We listen. We got this 18-year-old boy who's in jail. He shouldn't be there. Um, his mother had been bouncing from home to home to home with various boyfriends, and this boy was a nine nine, nine psychotropic drugs, mainly to sedate him and keep him quiet. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the boyfriend of one month said to the mother, "Hey, make a choice: your son or me." Well, she chose the boyfriend. Mm. She get the son of the house within an hour and he ended up in jail. And the sheriff said, he's got no place to go. Can you come get him? And we did. And we got him. My wife's a doctor of nutrition, naturopathic medicine. We got him down to one drug. It's like watching a butterfly come out of a cocoon. Mm. All of a sudden he had choices. He had options. He saw a future. He had hope. And that's, and that's some of these children that don't yeah. have that. They don't have someone to say, how can I help you? Yeah, that cocoon is is something that they they form. It's a it's a it's a defense mechanism, right? It's yeah, because protection. they're yeah they're trying to protect themselves. And when when they have real love and they have people around them that support them and care about them and they and unconditionally, like you talked about, it that it's you know I'm sure they just absolutely bloom or blossom. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Well, doctor, I can't thank you enough for, for your time with us today. I really, really appreciate you. I couldn't appreciate what you do more if I tried. Um, we're going to get, we're going to make sure we put a link to the book and also to your website on there, um, on your description. Um, and if there's ever anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, and when you're ready, I'd love to come back. There's so much more we can talk about. Absolutely, sir. God bless you. Thank you. You too. You too. Take care. Thanks again. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.